So we said that discipline was a question of drawing boundaries for, for our children, for the souls that are entrusted to, to us. Drawing boundaries for their good. It's not an easy task sometimes. We are often unsure as to exactly where we should draw the boundaries. Sometimes we do draw boundaries and they seem so radical compared to everybody else's boundaries that we say, wait a minute, am I, am I crazy here? Sometimes we, we simply are very unsure because we know that we weren't raised ourselves best along these lines. But even more than that, we are affected by the world in which we live. And the world in which we live has been contaminated by revolutionary principles. The world, we can say today, is in the final stages of revolution, a revolution which has thrown off our Lord Jesus Christ, has thrown off Christian principles and Christian society. You could say that that revolution began formally in the 18th century with, with the French Revolution. Of course, the American Revolution was basically but a prelude to that. But liberty, equality, fraternity. It's about the individual and his will over the common good. It's about a refusal of authority. whether it be the authority of the church or whether it be the authority of the state, but it counts down to the same thing. We don't trust authority on any level. Then in the 19th century came the whole romantic movement. Basically, it's the feelings are where it's about. And then in the 20th century came the sexual revolution, the Roaring Twenties and the Sixties and so on. Now it's the passions are where it's about. It's interesting, this phenomenon where, of course, men brag about their so-called conquest, but we've gone a step beyond that, so to speak, if you move away from the sexual thing. But the whole, the rite of passage when I'm an adult, I become an adult at 21, and what I do, I go get smashed to show I'm an adult. So I'm a man. It's, it's incredibly twisted if you think about it. Hot dog eating contests, right? I'm a man, right? I can put 46 <laughs> hot dogs down. It's about the appetites now. It's about, it's about the passions. Right? We're affected, obviously, by this world in which we live. We're affected by these, these principles that are revolutionary. They do touch us. And we sense it sometimes, but we probably don't realize to the extent that they touch us. But that comes into play in the boundaries that we draw or the failure to draw them, and then also our own weakness. We've seen throughout these conferences how much strength it takes sometimes to draw the lines that need to be drawn and then to enforce them. We have to 
sometimes go against our feelings. We have to sometimes go against our neighbors. We have to fight our kids. And they've been, of course, swayed by their friends and, and all the influences in their life, right? With movies, TV, music, all these things that their friends are exposed to. So it's a difficult thing. And I, I think I'd like in this conference to, to look about, look at this, this question of where are the appropriate boundaries? Remember, our goal that we have to keep in mind is that we are trying to form nobility of heart and soul. We are trying to form our child to, so that he wants the noble Catholic life that's envisioned for us by God. That we are called to by God. When we draw boundaries, it's always with this nobility of life, this clarity of mind that loves truth, sees objectively, thinks clearly, and this nobility of heart that cares about truth, will pay the price for truth, that cares about God, that cares about the faith, that loves the faith, that loves souls. Many of the boundaries that we draw are training boundaries. We're forming, we're shaping the child. It's especially important when they're little. On a natural level, it's simply a question of order. Remember, we don't want a lot of rules. So we have to have principles in mind always. On a natural level, it's simply a question of order. We want order in our family. So the lines that we draw are about keeping order in the home. And a lot of the rules, if you think about the rules you've made, it's simply that. Right? It's simply that. Common use of the kitchen, common use of the microwave, common use of the, the, the pool table, right? common use of the computer. It's all about keeping order. So we have rules that we follow. A place for everything and everything in its place is simply about keeping your house relatively in order and so on and so forth. But it's not only order in your family, also order in the child. And it's simply a question of what is reasonable? What will help him achieve this mastery of self? On a natural level, we're simply looking. Uh, can, we're talking little principles now. Some families have a principle. You know, you take what you like at table, but you eat what you take. It's a general thing. Right? So that it's a very good rule, right? in a way, because you don't you don't ram something down a child's throat that he absolutely can't bear. At the same time, you teach him too to th- not take so much because he might not be able to eat it. To think of others, perhaps at least in the sense that he's not taking so much. Right? There are a lot of things that can come into play there. Right? Another one, the general principle of order. We have a time we go to bed and we have a time we rise. Of course, it's not always the same for every member of the household. But it's a question of order. Children need sleep. Adults need sleep too. A rule is another example. If you start something, you finish it. 
That's very important when it comes to teaching fortitude. We're overcoming self. If you if you wanna if you wanna learn to play the piano, that's good. We'll support that. It's a very beautiful thing. But don't start playing the piano and three weeks later say I don't want to play the piano anymore. You've got to commit to at least a year if you're going to do that. Then if you're no longer interested, okay. You want to go to camp? That's great. Camp's a good thing. It's a lot of fun. You make a lot of friends. But if you go to camp, don't call me and say, come and get me and bring me home. I'm homesick. You start it, you finish it. That's on a natural level. Question of order. Supernatural level we alluded to in the, in the previous conference. It's a question of charity. The, the, the boundaries that we draw are simply a question of charity. Charity for God, firstly. We don't want sin in our home. It's not a question of making explicit rules. It's a question of loving our God. Father Matteo, the great apostle of the Sacred Heart, talks about how every home, the ideal, the Catholic ideal, is that it be a Bethany. Of course, Bethany, interesting word, <laughs> Bethany, right? right? Isn't that providential? Right? But Bethany was where our Lord went when he had no friends left in the world, almost. And he went to Lazarus, home in Bethany, where Mary and Martha were there, and he was among friends, and they loved him. And that's where he went in his final few weeks, very often. Our home is to be a Bethany. And the father is the one ultimately responsible. Mom and dad together, but dad ultimately. So the question of boundaries here is that we don't allow things in our home that are blatantly offensive to God. Remember one time I... I was coming down the stairs at the chapel that I had, one of the chapels I was taking care of. And as I was coming down the stairs into the basement, one of my teenage girls was coming up the stairs. And she was dressed very inappropriately. And I stopped her on the stairs, and I said, so-and-so, that's not the way you dress in church, and you know it. I don't want to see it again. I let her go, and I went downstairs, and I looked out for her dad. Where is he at? And I went over to him and said, Mr. So-and-so, I just wanted you to know that I just talked to your daughter, and this is what I told her. And he said to me, thanks, Father. I really appreciate that. Somebody needed to talk to her. (laughs) And I said, wait a minute. You are her father. You are responsible for the way that she dresses when she comes to Mass, especially. And he said, but Father, she won't come. Then I said, then leave her home. But when she comes to the car dressed like that, you say, I'm sorry, honey, you're not wearing that to church. Go change. Well, I'm not going. Okay. A father is responsible for doing at least what he can. There are many things he can't do, but he has to do what lies in his, in his power. Directed, of course, always by a prudence that's really looking to correct, not break. It is always that. But this charity for God, charity to for neighbor, and we alluded to that, right? It's a question of, we want to help work against that selfishness and self-focus of our world, 
Right? So we encourage, and it's really, see here with the charity for God and charity for neighbor, it's more a spirit than it is a concrete line. But you can, for example, you know, in this home we show courtesy, good manners. And from the time that they're little, we always encourage, thank you, you're welcome, please, right? And that's a general boundary. Consideration for others, respect for property, respect for their space, kindness. And these are all an example of training boundaries that start when the kids are very little. And they're, they're, by the time they're four, it's part of their life. So it's not that all of a sudden you draw lines everywhere and we do all of these things. No, it's just a way of life. Training boundaries are simply a way of life. This is the way we live in our home. Then there are other boundaries, protective boundaries. Boundaries that are drawn to protect the souls, the hearts, the minds of those that are entrusted to us. There's a necessity of, of a great vigilance in our world when it comes to protecting the souls that are given us. We have to be vigilant. We don't live in a Catholic world. And that world that is out there will corrupt the minds of our children. It will corrupt the imaginations of our children. It will destroy the ideals of our children. It will destroy the hearts of our children. It will destroy the morals of our children. It will destroy our children. If we are not vigilant. We have to be careful though. We don't want our vigilance. To turn into paranoia. Remember. That. We're trying to prepare our children. To survive in that world. We, we can over shelter them. It's what we might call, and it's been called by others. I don't know where it came up, came from originally. I've always called it the greenhouse effect. In a totally different sense that you've heard it before. Right? But you think of a plant in a greenhouse. A greenhouse protects from the storms. It's hand-watered. The sun comes shining through. It's a wonderful world. If the sun's not shining, the lights go on. The sunlight's still there. But the storms never touch the plants. A greenhouse is very useful, very necessary, when the plants are tiny. But at a given point, they've got to be put out into the world, transplanted into the world. You go to a greenhouse and you buy, you know, three dozen tomato plants and you bring them to your backyard and you transplant them into your garden. And that's a tough time for the, for the tomato plant. It's got to withstand for the first time the world around it. If there's a major storm, of course, the plants are going to be destroyed. But the plant should be able to, stand, to, to withstand, and sometimes you have to intervene to make sure it can. It's going to frost tonight. We cover the plants. There's a big storm coming. We put bushels over them. Sometimes you have to intervene. Right? But the whole goal is to get them to take root and grow strong and flourish, blossom and flourish and bear fruit out in the world now. 
And that's, that's exactly what we want to do with our souls, the souls that are entrusted to us. We can't keep them in the greenhouse completely, completely sheltered from our world until they're 18. That's like taking a tomato plant and letting it grow big right, and have fruit all over it and then taking that plant and transplanting it into the backyard. The shock will be so much it's almost sure to die. At the same time, we have to be careful not to expose those souls too fast to the things of the world. Before they're ready, before they're mature enough to handle the storm. The problem with our public school system, as an example, it's that they throw things, the sex education, for example, they throw things at the children that there's no way they're going to handle. They're only a child. And they throw it at them when they're still very much a child. It can only cause great gashes in their understanding of life and their understanding of morals and so on. Because they're simply not ready for that. Aside the immorality of the take on things, it's an insanity the way they throw things at the kids. Well, the problem is, is it's not only our schools that do that. The television does that. The newspaper does that. The billboards do that. The magazine racks do that. The internet does that. It's everywhere. That's diabolical. But you know what? We can't completely keep the kids from it. It's impossible. I knew a family that tried. They were driving down the highway. The dad would say, heads down. <laughs> That's insanity too. Because what's a normal boy going to do? What's so interesting? <laughs> right? So it's not that. Right? At the same time, we have to we have to we have to work our way through this world. It's a prudential question, which means no black and white answers. There's a principle, and we apply it as best we can according to where our children are at. But we are preparing them for that world. We want them to go out into that world and be strong and noble Catholics. So, how then, there are all kinds of things we can talk about here. I'll talk about a few, more to illustrate the principle than anything else. And you can ask questions eventually. Um, and again, I'm not... I am not pretending that what I give here, I'm not going to, first of all, I'm not going to be categorical because it's these are prudential questions. Right? At the same time, at times, the principles are very clear and nobody can dispute certain things. Right? So when it comes to protective boundaries, right, we think immediately of protecting our children when it comes to their companions, 
you're going to have boundaries that pertain to who are you with, what are you doing, when are you doing it, and so on and so forth. Who's going to be there? It's very important to know who our kids are with. First of all, back up. It's incredibly important to... You can know your child through his friends, and you can know what your child's going to be through his friends. The old saying, show me a man's friends and I will show you the man. Because a man connects with the ones that he relates to. The problem with children is they're very often, they're very easily deceived. It's not that they really relate necessarily to to what this man, this big man, this coach, for example, is about. What they relate to is what he stands for in their eyes. He's successful. Everybody looks up to him because he's a great football coach. Uh, he has athletic ability, right? She's popular. She's pretty. The, the superficial things easily deceive kids. That's why parents have to be involved. Right? Kids will imitate. They will become what their friends are. Whether it's the coach, or whether it's the music teacher, or whether it's Jimmy next door, or whether it's the quarterback on the football team, Right? They will they will tend to imitate the one that they look up to, for good or for bad. For these reasons, it's very important to know your kids' friends. And how are you going to know them? Well, for one, make them welcome in your home. It's much better that they're in your home than that your kid is in their home. When you don't know their family, at least not yet, perhaps... You don't know what their principles are. You don't know how they live. Well, it's much better to encourage them to be in your place. The ball games are here. We have a field. Let's use it. Make them welcome. Make them feel at home. Talk to them. Get to know their home environment by getting to know them. Get to know what's permitted in their home by getting to know them. And draw boundaries in consequence of that and with that in mind. There might be a child who's a, who's a nice little boy who's friends with your little boy. He might be a nice little boy, but his parents let him watch TV whenever he wants. There are no boundaries there. Or watch whatever movies he wants. There are no boundaries there. Well, you don't want your little boy going over to their house when he can watch whatever movies he wants. Right? So you draw boundaries in accordance with what you, what you come to know. Right? At times, you have to say no to a friend. Right? You've got to be careful when you do that. But and it really should be more the, the child himself that's a bad influence, and, and you can see that, more than his family is not where they need to be. Because many a child you can draw up by making him welcome in your home. And I, I see it on camp a lot of times. Girls get drawn up by the good girls that are there and the spirit that's there. And they want to be that. Even though their home's a mess. I remember one time I finished a camp and there was a girl crying, crying. And I had talked to her throughout the camp a couple of different times. Very difficult home situation. Very dysfunctional. And she was crying because she had to leave camp. 
And she said to me, it's so easy to be good here, I don't want to go home. It's great if you can provide an environment where it's easy for your kids' friends to be good. Recreation. Recreation is incredibly important. Just as people are noble or ignoble, recreations are of themselves constructive. In other words, they build up a soul and a heart and a mind or destructive, noble or ignoble. There's a big difference between going to a wrestling match, a professional wrestling match, and going to even a high school football game. Major, major difference. One of those is relatively constructive. One of those is very destructive. True recreation is going to recreate, recreate, rebuild, build up a mind, a heart, a will. No recreation merely entertains. Father Garishay, in a book that I that I would recommend to you, um, the Catholic Book of Character and Success, he <laughs> writes, any entertainment that is degraded, coarse, or cheap cheapens and coarsens your imagination and your disposition. Any amusement that is elevated and noble elevates and ennobles you. There's a whole spectrum here. There's the very healthy. There's the not healthy, but not poison. And then there's poison. You draw your lines in accordance. Think of food. Very healthy food is what you want to encourage your children to eat. And for the most part, that's what they should eat. When it comes to recreation, horseback riding, or folk dancing, or theater, or sports, if it's in its proper place. Those are constructive. Mountain climbing, hiking, fishing. Right? <clears throat> playing games with the boys in the in, in the neighborhood, playing kickball, playing baseball, right? Normal things. That's healthy recreation. It builds up. Then there's the cotton candy, the junk food. That can be tolerated in small amounts. Movies, for example. Decent movies are cotton candy. Decent ones. The best of them. A cotton candy. If we eat cotton candy all the time, we can't expect to be very healthy. Might taste good, enjoy it, maybe, right? But it's not very healthy and it's not very nourishing. Well, movies would go in that category. Amusement parks go in that category. Those are the kind of things you tolerate, perhaps small amounts. And sometimes it can be useful. And then there's poison things that are destructive, things that pull down, things that coarsen, things that degrade, that's poison, and it's out of the question. The boundaries are drawn in accordance with the principles. We can go in and narrow in on that. Let's look at movies. Actually, let's back up. Let's look at books first. Our world says... My child's reading, that's so wonderful. 
Right, the whole Harry Potter series, right? How many parents are in heaven, they think? They're just beaming. My child is reading. It's wonderful. Twilight books, another example. Yes. Right. Wait a minute. Books are just like any other entertainment. Healthy? Cotton candy? Or poison? Every author that writes is communicating a message. Sometimes intentionally. Some of you have read Monsignor Benson's novel, The Lord of the World. Right? He was talking about where our world's going if it keeps the principles it's operating according to now. But he put it in a novel form. It was basically the spoonful of sugar to get people to read it so that they would hopefully get the message. It was an intentional message he was sending. All of his novels do that. Others, it's not intentional. Tolkien, when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, had no intention of preaching a moral. But he was a man with profoundly Catholic principles and a profoundly Catholic worldview, and it was all through the book. He's communicating a message. True literature, good books, tell the truth about what is true and what is false, what is noble, what is ignoble, what is good, what is bad. True literature doesn't necessarily not deal with anything bad. But when it deals with something bad, it portrays it as bad. False literature pretends that evil is good. And it pretends that good is evil, backwards, old-fashioned, awkward. Kids, just like adults, are affected by what they read. We're very, it's amazing, right? We tend to take what we read as something we've discovered on our own. And so because of that, very easy to accept it. A little different when somebody preaches to us or teacher talks to us, this is what it is. A little harder, especially for we men. We're, you know, we want to stand on our own two feet. We want to figure it out for ourselves. A little bit skeptical of this or that. But we read it ourselves, tend to take it on our own. And the same thing for kids. They also, very easily, kids are, adults are too, lulled in by the story. We buy into a character. We grow to like a character. And so we sympathize with what he's about, for good or for bad. Remember that when your children read, their mind and their heart and their will are being formed. So we have to have boundaries. Screen the books your children read. Don't let your children just go to the library and pull out whatever book they want. First of all, there are a lot of books in the library that are not good. So they shouldn't even just go to the library by themselves, unfortunately, today. And when they pull a book off a shelf and you're there with them, or big sisters and you trust her, right? They bring the book to you and you look at it. It's very easy to give a sense for a book. You read the forward, you scan the table of contents, you read the first couple of pages, you read the last couple of pages, you skim through. In five to ten minutes, you pretty much got the idea where the book's at. 
and then you say yes, no. If it's no, it's because of this. Remember, don't just take. Give something to replace. Movies affect us even more than books. It's amazing to me on camp. We've got, it's pretty much the best of the best. We've got a lot of good kids in, in tradition. You've got a lot of good kids here. I can see that right away. Right? We've got a lot of good kids. But it amazes me how much they talk about the movies. It also amazes me what they watch. Sometimes. They have no sense of discernment whatsoever. And in fact, just recently, back to the books, you know, in one of our best schools, where the kids really grow to love to read and read a lot of good things, the Twilight series just perked up its head and we caught wind of it. And we caught wind of it because they didn't think anything of it. And so one of the young teachers was asked by the priest, look, can you pull that book? I want you to read it and tell me what's going on. She read part of it. And she said, went to Father and she said, and I know this girl and she's not at all you know, one of the greenhouse plants that's never seen anything evil. Right? She went to Father and she said, Father, I can't read this. This is so sensual. Nothing explicit, but it's so sensual. It's so much on that level. I can't read this. There's no question it's an occasion of sin. And there's no question that it distorts the whole understanding of what love is about. But the thing is, is the kids, no discernment whatsoever. Good kids who had received something. So See, that goes back. Kids need parents. They need authority. Helping them. These weren't bad kids. Same thing with the movies. Much more powerful than books because the intellect is not as engaged when we're looking at a, at a movie, when we're watching a movie. It's a passive movie. And it works on the senses, so it sparks the emotions, it sparks the passions. That's what's engaged. We look at the rating, you can't let that be your boundary system. You always go, nothing more than a PG. Well, I wish you could say that, but it really has nothing to do with it. Because Hollywood's principles are false principles. They're going to give it a PG-13 because there's, there's war violence, or an R because there's war violence, that might not be gratuitous at all, that might be perfectly appropriate for the movie and necessary for the movie, or they might even give it worse than that, like The Passion of the Christ. It's a restricted movie. Which, actually, rightly so, I wouldn't send a 12-year-old to watch that. Right? It strikes too hard. Right? But Hollywood's principles are false. All those false revolutionary principles we talked about, Hollywood has them to the T. This is very interesting. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I don't have updated stats. I, I pulled this out of an old book. Right? 30 years ago, Hollywood was 50% atheist. 7% were churchgoers. 7% 30 years ago. 5% called themselves Catholic. 97% 
pro-abortion. 80%, I guarantee you, it's, I guarantee you it's higher now. 80% said nothing wrong with homosexuality. 51% said nothing wrong with adultery. You get the picture. This was 30 years ago. Our world's gone a long way in 30 years. Hollywood has gone a long way in 30 years. These are the ones that are making the movies that draw our kids so much. So we have to be very careful. And again, when we draw the boundaries, first of all, it means inform yourself. You don't draw a boundary without informing yourself. You can have a boundary that says, look, I don't want you going to the theater, theater, period. Because of the previews, for example. I remember when I went to see, in fact, the last movie I went to see was The Passion of the Christ. The one before that was The Lord of the Rings. I saw all three of the trilogy. The first time, the first part of The Lord of the Rings, I went with my three sisters. It was Christmas week. It had just come out. Well, my little sister, who at the time was, I don't know, 18? That one? She'd never been in a movie theater before. She was sitting next to me. The previews came on. And of course, what do they do? The volume goes up. The speed goes up. It's everywhere all over the place. Right? And, of course, the content. They say, you know, this is approved for all audiences. Yeah, right. Right. My little sister sitting next to me, if she could have shrunk through the seat, she would have. It was palpable. She went like this my other sister on the other side of me is a teacher she leaned over to me at the end of the previews and she said and we wonder why we have a hard time reaching the kids how do you compete with that you could draw the boundary and say to your kids not the theater if you're going to watch a movie you watch it in the home and we see it before perfectly acceptable because you can't trust the previews. When you do draw boundaries, when you look at, is this acceptable? Is this not acceptable? Don't just look at the, the question of morality. Morality is very important, of course. It's very easy to be drawn into mortal sin by blatant immodesty or whatever. Especially when you're dealing with an adolescent who's on a battlefield that's Completely overwhelming to him. So immorality, I mean, obviously, it it eliminates a movie. But so many parents look at at the the rating and why it's rated what it is, and there's nothing there against that that says, you know, sexuality, whatever, rated PG-13 for sexuality or whatever. Okay, it's okay. There's nothing there on sexuality, so it's okay. Not at all. What is the movie saying? Is it portraying good as good and evil as evil or not? If you think about it, if it's not, if it's twisting and making good look evil and and evil look good, that's more dangerous than immorality because it attacks the mind that governs the will and the heart. If the mind rots, the whole man is rotted. The mind and the will, the the heart and the will, and ultimately then the passions and the emotions, they follow the mind. 
That's why the old saying, the fish rots by the head. It starts at the head. If the head's rotted, it's done. It's all finished. So you always have to ask yourself, as just as with a book, so with a movie, what is the movie saying? There's a movie called Million Dollar Baby. Anybody familiar with it? An example of, I, I didn't see the movie. I read some reviews of it. I don't think there was anything immoral in the sense of sexual immorality in it. It's about a, a woman boxer. A, a girl, a young woman, who's a boxer. A prof- I think a professional boxer. Well, you know what? You don't have to know anything more about the movie than that. To say, that's a lie. That movie is lying about what makes a woman a woman. The hero is a boxer. The heroine is a boxer. She gets in the ring and she beats people up. End of story. In fact, the perversity goes much deeper than that. Because what happens in the story is that the girl is she's very spunky and she's a fighter. And we, that appeals to us. It's a good quality. But she gets hurt in the boxing ring. She gets hurt gravely in the boxing ring. So gravely that she no longer wants to live. And she fights to be allowed, allowed to die. She fights to be euthanized. You buy into a character who's gritty and, and a fighter and spunky and attractive. And that character is fighting for something that is perverse. That movie, of course, is incredibly destructive to minds. It's only an example. We have to look deeper than the surface. I'll give you a counterexample. I gave this conference before, and when I gave this counterexample, I took flack for it. The movie We Were Soldiers. It's about a colonel in the Vietnam War, Colonel Hal Moore, who was a a father, a Catholic father of a family, big family, seven kids, eight kids, and something like that. He was in charge of the 7th Cavalry, helicopter cavalry. So not horses, but helicopters. So you get dropped by helicopters in the middle of nowhere to fight the battle. You could get there fast, and you fight, and you could pull out. Well, this was right at the start of the Vietnam War. Colonel Hal Moore was a Catholic man who who lived his faith and who had a beautiful family and who was a leader who cared about his men, agonized over the fact that he would lose his men, poured over the books for strategy and so on. They're on the battlefield. Things are going horribly wrong. He's there at every moment. He's backing them. He's he's encouraging them. Uh, A soldier makes a horrible mistake. It's just horrifying. I've read the book as well. Uh, Or a soldier, he's calling in the airplanes because the the Vietnamese are attacking. They came out of the tunnels. They're everywhere. And so the the Americans were getting run run over practically. They were in danger of being run over. So he called in reinforcements and the planes come in to drop napalm, which basically burst into flame in contact. Well, he called in this, this, this guy. He made a mistake. He called the planes in too close and they dropped them on our own men. I mean, it, it, it's something that really happened in the battle. 
Right? And the, the look on the, I mean, you can imagine, you can imagine uh, you make a mistake like that and you see your own men go up before you. Right? And the man just, he withered. He just horror and just withered. And Colonel Howmore's there instantly. He says, you forget that. Right? You are keeping us safe. That was a mistake. It's done. Move. Right? You have to keep going. He was a leader. He's a real leader. The movie has graphic violence in it. It's a war movie. The movie has some bad language in it. I would say the movies we're seeing, for the right audience, for boys in particular, of the right age, 15, 16, 17, depending on what they've been exposed to. Because it shows a Catholic man who cares about his family, who leads his family, who cares about his men, who pays the price for his men. His whole model, when they were going on, when they were being shipped off, he said to his men, you know, many of you are going to die. Many of you will not come back. But I tell you this, and this is historical as well. I tell you this. I will be the first one on the battlefield. And I will be the last one off. That's a leader. That's a man. That's a Catholic man. What is the movie saying? It goes beyond, there's some bad language in it. Right? The movie is saying something good. The movie is teaching something that needs to be learned by our society. So you can say, you know, not for my kids. They're too sheltered. They haven't seen any movies. I agree 100% perhaps. It's an example, though, of a movie that some parents would say, nope, bad language, nope, violence, done. And I would say, you know what? I think you don't go deep enough. I think you've got to look at what a movie says. Because that's how we live our lives according to principles in a world that's very imperfect and very messed up in its principles that guide us. So these are our examples. I want to give you one more because I think it's I think it's it's important and I haven't I haven't really prepared this um, but the whole question of, of the internet it's You've got to look at you've got to look at what your kids are exposed to, and how much are you able to put boundaries there for them. Particularly, for example, something like Facebook. This is very interesting, and I'm not I don't even pretend to try to treat this subject in any way complete. Right? It's just that I'm studying this question right now. And it's incredibly important, I think. I don't think there's anything destroying our kids more than the Internet. Movies? Television? No. It's the Internet. It's destroying our kids more than anything else right now. This book here is called Generation MySpace. It's written by a woman who's a teacher. She's not, I don't believe, even Christian. Certainly her, the subtitle tells it all. Generation MySpace, helping your teens survive online adolescence. In other words, it's here to stay, and they're going to be there, so what do you have to do to make sure they don't get destroyed? And so I think that's a false approach. You, you, that's, that's not a wise approach, but very interesting because she's, she certainly goes beneath the surface of immorality. Real-life issues affecting your teen. This is how she starts her book. Real-life issues affecting your teen because of 
Facebook, MySpace, all this social networking. The skyrocketing craze of teen exhibitionism and voyeurism. Get attention? Anything to get attention. To get popularity? Anything. The emerging culture of narcissism as encouraged by the medium. It's all about me. Everything's about me. MySpace. Facebook. And so on and so forth. Even the very language shows it. It's all about me. The redefining of friendship and popularity for this generation. Friendship is no longer being there for a friend through thick and thin. Friendship is he can do something to prop me up higher. You accept somebody as a friend right, online because more friends means I'm more popular. Friends who are glamorous mean I'm more glamorous. It's all very calculated, and it's all about self. The pressure teens face to invent an identity online. Horrific. What's going on online. Kids don't see it as real, and yet it's more real than their real life. Anything goes. There are no rules. And yet... That's where their focus is. Their life revolves around this irreality. The sexual, bullying, and drug-friendly culture of MySpace and like networking. The widening disconnect from reality as experienced by teens. Very interesting. Here's something else. Parenting in the age of MySpace. Right? If the medium for our teens, teens is permanently rooted in an electronic screen, what ultimately is the message our kids are learning? She gives four. This is a pagan. One, I must be entertained all the time. Two, if you've got it, flaunt it. Three, happiness is a glamorous adult. Four, success means being, being a consumer. If you're at all inclined to let your kid have a MySpace account or a Facebook account, read the book. Just be prepared and don't leave it around for your kids. Because it's pretty graphic. There are times we draw boundaries, and the boundary is that's excluded completely. It's the reason I bring up the last example. We have to have the courage as parents to draw a line that's absolute and it's necessary for the good of our kids. And we have to have the courage to draw a line that goes against what everybody else is doing. That means we have to be able to see objectively the reality ourselves. That's why we try to inform ourselves about things like that. It takes courage.
it takes great courage to be a Catholic parent doing a good job in today's world. Don't ever think for a second that God will not reward that courage a hundredfold. You are not perfect. You don't always follow the principles exactly as you would like to. You fall short of the ideal. You make mistakes. You find you've gotten off track. But if you care about your kids and you care about your faith and you do the best that you can, God will pick up where you leave off. His grace will supply for your inadequacy. And that's a cause for tremendous hope for all of us because we all fall short. God knows what we're up against in our world. He knows how difficult it can be. He understands that. And he's working with us to save the souls of our children. And the fact, we could reverse that and say, in fact, we're working with him. It started with him. He created those souls out of love. He baptized those souls out of love. Died for those souls out of love. He's working for those souls and he's put you in the picture out of love. You are like the hand of God for your child. You are the tangible hand, the tangible feet, the tangible voice of our Lord Jesus Christ in the life of your child. And so we go back to our original big principle. What we're really trying to do is be Christ-like. To be with our children as our Lord would be with those children. To show them by our example, by our life, by our spirit, what he's about. So that that spirit penetrates their minds and their hearts. And they latch on to the ideal that's presented to them. And they begin to fight for it. That's what we're here for. So keep up the good work. Any questions? Well, you left out music, and I guess it's maybe because it's such a long topic. Um, do you have any general guidelines? Just a, I mean, I know a lot of us, you know, know about hard rock and rap and all of that, but, mm-hmm. but then it seems like, you know, we tend to get more permissive, you know, when it gets to the country or the folk. Or, it's like easy listening. Yeah, easy listening. <laughs> so you can address it a little bit. Do you have some generalities? Well, obviously, I mean, there are two questions. I mean, there's what the music is in itself, and then there's what is the music saying. What the music's saying automatically excludes certain things. I, I quoted from you Green Day, you know, I mean, it's blasphemous. I didn't quote the blasphemous things, I don't think. It's, it, it creates a culture of despair, right? uh, self-focus. Uh, what the music is saying is incredibly destructive, and therefore out of the picture, done, right? never allowed. Uh, and, and some of the music that's out there is much worse than Green Day. 
much, much worse. And, you know, as you know, I talked about, you're responsible for what's in your home. When it comes to something that's blatantly offensive to God, like that, and blatantly destructive, you know, that's not a negotiable. So even if it causes an explosion, no, it's, that's not a negotiable. That is not in this house. That's, so you've got to look at what the music is saying. But be careful. I was just talking with um, one of the priests, one of the young priests at, um, at Phoenix this past week. He's stationed at St. Mary's. And I said, what do the kids listen to? And he said, you know, what's, what's, it seems to me is more and more they're listening to country music. Um, but country music is certainly yesterday's rock. And the message, and he brought this up perfectly, <coughs> truly. You know, he, he said that it, it's such a destructive message because it's all about follow your feelings, follow your passions. Uh, it's, it's incredibly soft in the message. Right? So we can't, there, it's not the same gravity, obviously, but it's not something you would introduce to your kids and say, this is okay, you know, just listen to country, you'll be okay. No. Right? But at the same time, different than Green Day and Rage Against the Machine and whatever, whatever. Right? One is, no, I don't care what it costs, that's not in this home. The other is, it depends on little kids. I don't want my little ones listening to that. I don't want them, you know, seeing that as appropriate music. Right? Um, another is, you know, how much is it? Are they being, are they listening to it? How far does it go? Because even in country music, there's a huge spectrum. Right? Where are they at on that spectrum? All of these are, they're prudential questions. But we're still on the level of, what is it saying? Right? Then you look at the music in itself. There, I mean, it depends who you ask. I mean, first of all, rock music by definition is revolutionary because it's upside down. Right? There are three major elements of music, right? There's, there's the lower element, which is your rhythm. Right? It corresponds to the passions. That's why when you, you have soldiers going into battle, the drum is going. Right? Because it, it pumps them up, it gets them going. Right? And then you go up a level and you have your, your harmony, which touches the heart, corresponds to the heart. And you have harmony. It's beautiful. And then you go up another level and it's melody. And that corresponds with the intellect. It's a mathematical thing. Harmony is as well. But it touches less the heart and more, more the mind. And there's music that doesn't hardly touch the heart at all when you listen to it. It's very intellectual. Uh, for me, Chopin is very intellectual. I, music it doesn't do anything for my heart whatsoever, and I really don't care for it. Right? But there are others that are pure melody, like Gregorian chant. There are certain melodies of Gregorian chant that very much grab the heart. Easter Sunday Mass, for example, is incredibly beautiful. Very simple, but incredibly beautiful. It does touch the heart. But the point is, is the melody is the higher part of the music, and then the, the harmony is second, and then the, the rhythm is third. And in fact, if we talk about a man, right, it's meant to be the intellect corresponding with the melody that leads, that, that dominates the harmony, that dominates the heart corresponding with the harmony. And that also dominates the, the passions and controls them and says when it's appropriate, when it's not. While rock music by its very definition is flipped everything upside down. 
right, where rhythm predominates, the passions predominate, because that's where we're at. Well, we talked about that. Right now it's appetites and passions. Right? And country music, the softer, sentimental, that's all the harmony level, passion, and emotion, because we can't pretend that country music is, that isn't heavy on rhythm. It's very heavy on rhythm. Right? But not as heavy as, you know, heavy metal rock. The worst is rap. Rap is no melody. None. No harmony. None. Pure rhythm. It's not even music, because two of the three elements are missing. Right, so it, there's a scale there. There's there's a spectrum as well, right? and there's a destructiveness that comes to that. Music affects us incredibly. I was just telling the kids this morning, telling the kids, we just ran a jogathon in Phoenix when I was there. The kids did, of course I did. I'm not crazy, right? So the kids are running a jogathon. They had music playing during the jogathon on big speakers. Very smart. Music, it's got energy and gumption. And what's it do? It gives them energy. It gives them push. Right? It affects them. It definitely affects them. There have been studies done about how animals like cows, they respond to, it's incredible. They give more mouth when you play music like Mozart or even music that's very harmonious. You play rock music, the milk, milk uh, supply, the milk production goes, shoom. plants grow better. When you've got beautiful music playing, which is heavy on melody and harmony, and they, they don't flourish at all, they do horribly when it's pure rhythm. It affects, it's a biological thing, in addition to a spiritual thing. The music touches, it grabs. We talked about the kids talking about movies that grab. Music's the other thing that grabs, really grabs. And so I think you've got to You've got to encourage a balance. You've got to understand that kids are young and they need energy. But that doesn't mean you give them rap or allow them to listen to rap. And I don't care if they call it Christian rap or not. By itself, it's revolutionary. Right? But at the same time, much more important than the kind of music is what the music is saying. And so you're obeying all these things. Right? Dr. Andrew Childs said... To he gave a conference on music at the seminary. It was very, very well done. His doctorate in music and so on. And he said, show me the music a child listens to and I will tell you what that child will become. Incredibly influential. At the same time, he says, you know what, there's, just like we said about the whole spectrum, there's, there's healthy food, and then there's potato chips, and then there's poison. So it isn't for music. And potato chips are not going to hurt you in small quantities. Cotton candy in small quantities. Right? So where does everything fall on that? That's much greater than this time right here. I'm trying to give you the principles, but that's what you look at. Yes? It's all called balance, isn't it? What's that? Balance. Well, always. We apply principles according to reality and according to the goal. And if we apply them accurately, that's balanced. That's balanced. And we don't want to swing to, you know what? Gregorian chant is the best kind of music. My children will listen only to Gregorian chant. Well, you know what? That doesn't fit the reality of man. Gregorian chant is eminently spiritual, that's why it's in church. And we are spiritual creatures, but we have a natural everyday life too. 
So there needs to be a music for that natural everyday life that still fits us. So a balance. You can go to an extreme. And it's not good. Whenever we do go to an extreme, it's not good. Yeah, I just get concerned when people start talking about balance. They, for instance, country music, it's like you were saying, it's soft and subtle, but they are inverting, you know, what's what's good and making it... Absolutely. No, I am... Please, don't... Because it's packaged so softly... Most of well, I, first of all, I mean, it's not packaged softly. It was packaged softly when we were kids. Right. Uh, it's not packaged softly. Now, today's country music is yesterday's rock, for the most part. Is there, are there soft songs? Yes, there are. Are some of them acceptable? Yes. The problem is, is what are the artists about? What's their overall message? When you buy an album, how much is where? Right of where they're at. And be careful, we're very good at, in the name of balance, justifying doing what we want to do. Part of the reason that kids don't respect adults is because adults are still yesterday's kids and they've never moved beyond it. They're just not. They haven't followed the swing as far as today's kids, but you know what? They're still listening to what they listen to. Right? Uh, they're listening to what they grew up with in the 70s, in the 80s, the Eagles, or Asia, or whatever. Right? And so for the kids, that's archaic. Right? But for the adult, he's, he's living according to the same principles that his kids are trying to live on. Their kids aren't going to respect that. They won't respect that at all. Uh, we got to be careful. We're, when we say balance, that doesn't mean we, we try to fit in the world as much as we can. No, when we say balance... It means we apply principles according to circumstances with our goal in mind. We don't swing to one extreme or another just because in, in principle this is the best, therefore this is what I always do. Right? TV is dangerous. Therefore, anybody that watches TV ever is not Catholic. That's my principle. No, that's not. you can't say that. Right? Movies are dangerous, and they are. Just as they're entertaining. Okay? Therefore, my children will never watch a movie. Well, I would say that's probably not a good application because you know what? They're in a, move, a world where they will be exposed to movies and they better have learned how to discern and to apply a principle. Right? So we can be on either side. Right? We can be radical, basic. We don't live according to principle at all. It's just black and white and everything must be. Or we can go the other way, and what we're really trying to do is fit in as much as we can with the world. Well, neither one is where it's at. So, And it's a tough one, and I'm not here to say anybody's anywhere on that spectrum. I don't know anybody here, and I'm sure you're all very sincere Catholics, and I'm sure, too, it's not easy to see yourself where the line should be drawn sometimes. But the reason we talk about the principles is because we want to apply them in a Catholic way, which means a balanced way so that our kids will be strong, and we will be strong. Could you say something earlier about the, the young lady that you told about the, the mass because of what she was doing? I'm not sure about that. What do you do when you have older children that don't live at home, but they come and visit? Mm-hmm. And um, they may not be dressed in modestly, but you know, flip-flops, blue jeans, very sloppy. Boys. Do you tell them to stay home? They are not your children anymore, as far as I'm <clears throat> responsible for what they do. 
Right. When so, you're home and you have younger children at home. Um, yeah, well, that's where you go to them. First of all, you can talk to your kids and say, you know what, you know, John isn't doesn't really live the ideal that he was taught in some ways. Right? Just because he does that, obviously, it's not what we do. Right? You can say that afterwards. Right? Um, but for the most part, you almost probably wouldn't have to, depending on their age, because they're going to see it and that they're going to. And on the other side of things, you can talk to them. If you've got little ones that are impressionable, so you would say, you know, I, I know that, that you don't make a big deal out of this, but I would ask you to maybe for the kids, for the little ones, so that presenting a United thing, if you would do it for them. So you're not, as a mom, ordering an adult. You don't have that authority anymore. You're simply trying to look out for the little ones. And so you deal with both sides as best as you can. Yeah, what are you going to do? They're adults. You're not responsible for what they do. Right? It's the same thing with you know the person in the pew in front of you. If they aren't dressed in a way that's inappropriate, that's that you think is appropriate, that's not your job to tell them that. Right? You're not responsible for them. Right? You be the best Catholic you can be right? for those that are entrusted to you, and that example radiates outward. And someone who has responsibility for, let's say in the church, everybody, well, that's for him to intervene if necessary. It's not for the individual. Well, the same principle applies for your adult kids that have moved out. It's, it's no longer... Well, in the measure that it's destructive to the kids, you have to be careful of that, right? But that's more a question of they, your kids go to their house. Your adult kids have the internet and they put no boundaries on it and they have the movies and they're watching all of them and they don't want to keep your kids from watching it or grandparents or some can be the issue right they're not traditional catholic and a lot of things go well you've got to say well you know what i've got to be careful here and normally you would go to them and say you know what here's what we do um, i'm i want to protect the kids so i would ask you to respect this and if they said look it's my home and i'll do what i want well at that point if it's destructive and really destructive then your kids don't go there Right? But it's different when they come to your home. You know, grandma comes dressed in blue jeans uh, because she's not traditional Catholic and she doesn't see a problem with it. You don't have to say, look, when you come to my home, you wear a dress. Well, she's grandma. Right? And you just say to the kids, you said, you know, if they comment on it, you say, look, grandma doesn't understand some of the things that we understand. Right? That doesn't mean she's not a good person and we do need to pray for her, of course. Right? And that, the kids know. It's the same thing. Your kids come home, but everybody's going to that party. But everybody's going to see that movie. The answer is something that's simply, well, I personally, for us, we're not going to do that. We don't do that. I don't think that's acceptable for a kid your age. It's the end. That's the end of the story. So I think kids will, first of all, you are the primary authority for the kids, parents. So you don't have to go on and on with them. They, they'll, as long as you follow those principles and you're good to them, Still, trust me, it'll be mom and dad who predominate. Uh, that's for sure. That's for sure.